On today's episode, we try to answer exactly what is wrong with Texas football, and we take a look at the Longhorns 2021-2022 NCAA season. Hello there. And welcome to another episode of Metroplex Mania. As always, I'm your host, Shanavaz Makani. Metroplex Mania is brought to you by the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. I'm joined today by my good friend, the former co-host of the Tuesday Morning Longhorn Roundup. He is currently the host of the Longhorn Pod and a writer for Burnt Orange Nation on SB Nation. My friend, Gerald Goodrich. Gerald, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing good. Honestly, if we could do these on Tuesdays, it would really make this thing just feel all the more fluid, which I appreciate. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Tuesdays work for me too, but I'm I'm glad uh, I'm glad I got you on today. I appreciate yeah, yeah. it. So I wanted to you know bring you on. Obviously, we're both Texas alums. You know, we we did our our Tuesday morning Longhorn Roundup in college when um, things were a little bit better for Texas athletics. I, I would like to say um, when we were in school. Um, you know, first, first things first, man. I know basketball season tips off tonight. I'm I'm extremely excited about this season. Uh, I think for the first time in a long time. Uh, there's a lot of real optimism uh, for Texas basketball uh, with all the transfers um, and especially getting, you know, Coach Beard uh, to leave Texas Tech and, and come back to Texas. But before we talk basketball, we, we got to talk football. Um, it, you know, in the intro, you know, I said uh, we want, I want to try to answer the question of what is wrong with Texas football. Um, you know, we bring in a guy like Steve Sarkeesian and, and you know, you and I spoke earlier in the year about this and, and not necessarily optimism. We were kind of hesitant because it's like, you know, he wasn't that great of a head coach prior, you know, at Washington and, and he had some struggles uh, along the way. But I mean, the offense he he threw out at Alabama was was historic. And so, you know, you come into a situation with Texas where you've got guys like Xavier Worthy, you've got guys like Bijan Robinson. What's the issue? I mean, what's going on with, with this team? Well, I think there's there's a couple of different things that you could probably look at. I think as far as there, there's a lot of like, well, the talent's there and Tom Herman recruited really well, but that's not necessarily the case when you take into account the number of guys that have transferred out or the number of guys you have people that, you know, had to medically retire or just, you know, people not playing significant snaps for this team of, of the, the recruiting classes that would have been uh, making up this the upperclassmen of this unit. And you could even take a look at like the offensive line recruiting. I think that's really where the biggest issue, uh, at least from my vantage point, is Texas. Like if you just look back, back at this Iowa State game, Iowa State was able to generate pressure pressure with three or four three or four rushers and Texas had all five plus a running back in a lot of sets and so there's an inability to to allow the offense to generate anything when you're playing from your back heels regardless of who the quarterback is regardless of who the wide receivers are running backs are you could have one of the best running backs in the country Bijan Robinson but if the offensive line can't create any space for him then there's absolutely no way that he can do anything he can't get anything done and so i think that is one of the kind of player personnel issues but i think there's also um a little bit of a cultural issue and actually literally um just like blew up on twitter about an hour ago from the time of recording um a video mm-hmm. of the defensive line coach bo davis just ripping into some players on the bus after a 23 point loss at iowa state who are apparently laughing and joking on the bus and so it, it alludes to a lack of and there's only, I don't, this is like the dumbest like coachy speak way to say this, but Sark said it, and so I'm going to steal it. It's like, they, they're guys in the locker room that don't hate to lose. And mm-hmm. that is the mark of a good 
competitor, right? My wife and I have sworn off board games for date nights because we both hate to lose. And so we have both ruined enough. Well, I say we both. I have ruined enough date nights (laughs) with my wife because she beats me at every board game we play. And so we're like, okay, that's just not something we can do for date nights. And I'm not even an elite level competitor, but like the competitive mindset of hating to lose seems to be missing from uh, some of the players and and in the cultural piece. And so I think that even deeper, because again, you look at Iowa State. Iowa State's not as talented as Texas on paper, but those mm-hmm. dudes came out and they knew they weren't going to lose and they did everything within their power to do. And so that to me is more than anything, probably the issue at hand. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it goes back to that quote. I think Brees Hall said, I think it was last year, right? You said five-star culture versus five-star players, yep. right? Every time Iowa state plays us, it, it, you know, it, it, it just, I, 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 I sit there and I watch the games and number one, so let me ask you this. Number one, do you think it was a mistake going away from Hudson Card um, at, at the beginning of the season, right? Card obviously struggled against Arkansas um, mightily. Casey Thompson comes in, does well, and now it's like we're playing quarterback shuffle again. And it seems like it's every year, you know, other than the Sam Ellinger years, but even Ellinger's freshman year, it was, okay, is it Bouchel? Is it Ellinger, right? Every year it seems to be, we can't figure out which quarterback is going to play and which quarterback is the right choice to lead this team. It, I don't necessarily know if it's the right choice or the wrong choice to, to make that move. I think the same issues we saw um, against Arkansas when, when the offense struggled mightily there, uh, we saw against Iowa State when, when Hudson Card came in in relief of Casey Thompson. And there's there's a lot of conversation around um, Casey Thompson being injured, and we saw it mm-hmm. um, in the Oklahoma State game where he got hit in the hand, bent his thumb back, and it was a wrist injury. And if you look prior to that, I mean, he's thrown six interceptions this year, and half of them have come uh, after that. He was at, at that point in the season, um, when he, but going into the Oklahoma State game, he, he had – what, 14, intercept, or 14 touchdowns and three interceptions, and then in the last three weeks he, he went for three and three. And so, like, that – there's a you don't just fall off that drastically. And so there's, there's, a, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, but I think there is a – and, again, it goes back to what I said initially. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is if he's throwing off his back foot or if he's having to roll and scramble and try to mm-hmm. reset the pocket. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is. And so um, I don't think it was a bad move necessarily. I think it sucks that now you're having to make a, remake the switch because of the injury, and now the conversation sparks back up again. I wouldn't be shocked to see them go transfer portal in the offseason. They've already alluded to the fact that they might even go two quarterbacks in the recruiting class and kind of reopen the competition next year. Uh, but again, none of that really matters if they can't improve uh, on the offensive line um, sooner rather than later. It, the offensive line issues, is that, does that date back? I mean, obviously I think it has something to do with Herman's recruiting, right? But is it, is it just a lot of the offensive lines are not coming to Texas? I mean, you see, you know, other programs, I mean, Alabama, obviously bad example, but even Oklahoma, Oklahoma's got, a phenomenal offensive line, one of the best, if not the best in the country, uh, it seems, every year, year in and year out. What is, what is the fundamental issue of Texas not being able to recruit offensive linemen? There's a little, I, I don't know. I think it, in some of it dates back even to, to late Mac Brown. I think when you look at, you know, why Texas struggled in that, in that, um, the few years after. And I think Charlie Strong inherited a really bare cupboard, especially uh, along key positions. But I think, it goes back to bad evals earlier, probably five, six, seven years ago. And then Herb Hand, and, and this is um, 
there's a lot of conversation about Herb Hand not being a very eager recruiter. He kind of wanted mm-hmm. to go for um, wanted to go for layups and wanted to go for um, kind of a high potential three star kid that he didn't have to recruit as hard rather than the four and five stars. There's also been a lot of talk um, about Tom Herman kind of micromanaging offers with people and, and burning bridges with high school coaches because of it. Um, and so. But when you look at the numbers, Texas has only signed four top 250 offensive linemen in the past five cycles, which would be your redshirt seniors at this point. And so, like, there's not – I don't know what the reasoning is, but it's not getting done. And, again, I think it goes back to bad evals early. And then you get stuck in the situation where when you do sign a five-star kid or a high four-star kid, you have to start them too early. And so then that stunts mm-hmm. their development. They miss out on a year of just learning the game, and they're already now behind the eight ball. And so that that bites you – that nips you in the bud when it comes to to development. And so it's, it's kind of this never-ending cycle. And so if Texas can land a few stopgap guys in the, the, the portal, the transfer portal, and, and I'm hoping that the transfer portal this year um, is, is a little more um, a little more ripe with talent than it normally is because of the weird last two recruiting cycles due to COVID. Um, so hope that they can land some stopgap guys there and land a couple of decent uh, linemen in this in the 22 and 23 recruiting classes. They might be able to get out of this sooner rather than later, but until they can shore that up, we're, we're stuck in the same purgatory we've been in for a decade. It seems to me, and it, it, for a while, there's been a lack of talent at key skill positions on the offensive end, right? Obviously, Bijan Robinson is is one of the most talented players in the country, and and say what you will about Casey Thompson, Hudson Card, but it feels like Texas hasn't had that stud wide receiver in a long, long time, right? Xavier Worthy was a, was a transfer from Michigan. Um, Joshua Moore, you know, entering the tra- uh, transfer portal this year. Um, you know, it, it just seems like guy, we're, we're letting guys like Garrett Wilson leave the state and go to Ohio State, right? It's It seems like we can't get... I remember the days of Roy Williams and, and even Limus Swede back in the day, right? Limus Swede wasn't, you know, all this this great, but he was a very, very consistent receiver for Vince Young uh, when he was there. Jordan Shipley, obviously, his chemistry with Colt McCoy. Uh, Quan Cosby, right? I mean, guys that, guys that were always able to make plays, guys that were able to get yards after the catch... It seems like Texas has has just struggled to recruit at that position for a long, long time. Yeah, and there's there's a couple of things that I think go into that as well, and that goes back to something I said already that like Tom Herman like fancied himself as wide receiver um, whisperer, and he he also had a specific wide receiver that really he liked in his system, and so a guy like Garrett Wilson wasn't a, wasn't a system guy for Tom Herman. Uh, there was a lot of talk about his the first wide receiver coach under Tom Herman, Drew Maringer, just not being a great dude mm-hmm. and a great recruiter to be around. Um, but like looking at, you know, we talk about Garrett Wilson and you look at Ohio State, Jackson Smith Jigba, I always say his name wrong, um, but he's a guy that Texas didn't even offer. He's in your backyard, you don't offer him, he goes to Ohio State and goes off. And, and he looks amazing. He, he's he an incredible so good. wide receiver. And I, I, I'm still angry about that. And it's still extremely frustrating to me. And I think some of it again has has to do with the fact that um, you know Tom Herman probably had his hand in too many in too many cookie jars as in, on the recruiting end, um, and so that that handicapped um, you know again the the last two wide receiver coaches. And to me, again, I I don't. It's hard to sell kids on the the direction that you're going to take the program when every new coach for the last, now we're looking at seven years, eight years, Mm -hmm. has had a new direction for the program. And so it's hard to sell those elite kids. And you're seeing it now where, you know, 
uh, Charlie Strong got the new coach bump and Tom Herman got the new coach bump and Texas is experiencing a little bit of it, but you see like some of the five-star kids are not necessarily signing on. And you see kid like Evan Stewart, who was really hot on Texas for a while. He's kind of cooling because of the mire that they're currently lost in. He spent a couple of weekends at A&M and is really liking what he sees over there. And when you're on your third rebuild in less than a decade, it's hard to convince top tier kids to come and make it any different. You know, we you alluded to this earlier, right? That you know, a lot of a lot of recruiting is is based on relationships that coaches have with high school coaches in the state of Texas, right? There's reasons why a lot of these kids that are in our own backyard leave and and go to other schools, like on, like in Ohio State or like in Oklahoma. Um, does does Steve Sarkeesian have those relationships? Is he trying to build those relationships from everything you've you know read or, or heard um, within the state? I mean, obviously he was a great recruiter at Alabama, but I feel like that. There's also a Nick Saban factor there as well, right? Um, is he does he have that kind of uh, that reputation in the state, or is he still trying to build that up? Uh, so he he came in knowing that I think he wouldn't have that, and that was part of the problem with Tom Herman. And again, you could read uh, a lot more people in the know. I'm a big Mike Mike Roach fan over at Two Four Seven. He did a really mm-hmm. good retrospective on where it went wrong with Tom Herman, and a lot of what Mike said uh, is that you know, Tom Herman went in and expected to be the the, the guy and, and coaches to be in awe of he walked in with his burn orange polo on and kind of um, give him more deference than he deserved. I think Sark is going the exact opposite route. Um, one of the first one of the, the most important staff hires, I think, at least in my um, estimation, is he hired uh, for a for part of his kind of non football staff. A guy named Chris Gilbert, who's uh, his title on the staff is the director of high school relations. He's a really well renowned, highly regarded, um, longtime high school football coach and athletic director in the area or in, in the state. And so doing things like that really helps you along. And he retained a lot of the the recruiting staff that already had built those relationships as well. And so Sark is doing it, but in one of his first stops actually was at the Texas high school football coaches association. Like he got hired and then oh, like wow. two weeks later, he and his coaching staff were there doing like keynote addresses. And so he's doing a lot of the right things to build those relationships. And it seems to be working there. Again, a lot of the chatter out of coaches that you hear is a significantly different than what you're hearing from Tom Herman. And I think Sarkeesian knows that, if you're in the state of Texas and you can, you know, get the three top kids from Dallas and the three top kids from Houston, you don't have to add a whole lot to your class from a, from a top end right. talent perspective. And even San Antonio now, San Antonio's become a really uh, more fertile recruiting bed. And so that to me is, is that Sark knows he doesn't have those connections that, that Chris Gilbert hired speaks to me that like, he knows he doesn't have those connections and he's going to build them regard however he can. Yeah, I, I, you know, I look at, I look at the team, and, and the, the, obviously, the biggest struggle for me is the fact that we've been in most of these games that was, we've lost, right? Other than the Arkansas game, which I think was just, and just a complete unraveling of our team. Um, every other game we've been in, we've been up at halftime, um, it, and it's just, it's something is happening at halftime. Whether it's adjustments, whether other teams are figuring us out, figuring out exactly what what the team is doing, if it's just I don't know if I don't want to say laziness, but there, there's something happening in that third quarter where teams are are just completely pounding us into the ground, especially running the ball. Uh, you know, we've given up a lot of rush yards. I think overall Texas is 106th in the nation in total defense, um, which, you know, I think for the last few years, like you've said, it's, you know, we're kind of stuck in this, you know, mediocrity and, and defensively we've we've really, really struggled. 
But, you know, I thought Pete Kwiatkowski would do a much better job. Um, is that also kind of like the offensive end where it's just a personnel issue at this point? I think there are two things at play. And I think some of that, like if you look at maybe Oklahoma State and Baylor, part of the issue for the defense is that the offense didn't do jack in the second half and left mm-hmm, the defense right. on the field way too long. Now, that doesn't necessarily hold up for Iowa State because Iowa State's one big run was like the first drive in the se- in the, sec- the, the second half of the third quarter. Um, and some of that's on coaching. And there was a quote, and I, I wish I had it in front of me, after the Baylor game from, from their running back that, that I think put up 130 or something, and the number was stupid. Um, but he basically, the, the, the reporter asked him about Texas's defensive alignment texas stays in two high safeties come hell or high Mm. water um and he asked him about that and he said well texas kept the safeties high their linebackers are over pursuing and so we're just going to cut back and run all over them is is what we're going to run it down their throat and that to me is a really damaging quote for pete kwiatkowski because you know once once is a mistake twice is a twice is a coincidence three times is a trend and so we're on week Mm -hmm. four of this and texas actually this is this is an insane stat so texas has played nine games this year they played 11 in the entire season last year and texas has allowed more rushing yards in these nine games than they did in the 11 games last year also let's just keep it going year before played 13 games texas has already given up more yards than they gave up in 13 games two years ago and so there's something there and and pete kwikowski there needs to be a come to Jesus moment because at some point you've got to realize you don't have the personnel to play the defensive alignment you want to to play. And so good coaches, good coordinators figure it out. Um, and so that to me is is the is the crux of it because last year, a Chris Ash defense was not this porous against the run. And the only real difference is like Joseph Osai and maybe Caden Stearns at this point. Like those are your two mm-hmm. big differences. Now Joseph Osai covers up a whole heap of sins, but um, it shouldn't be that bad that fast. Yeah. And you know, I, I watch these games and, and I, I have a group thread with two of my, two of my buddies who went to school with us. Um, and they, they just stopped watching, you know, now they're like, we're not even watching the game. So I'm, I'm texting them updates and first half it's like, I'm con- continuously sending texts and I'm like, Oh my God, like we're up, we're winning. And then second half, I just stopped texting cause it's, we can't score and we can't stop anybody. Um, every time I watch, it's like, there's, there's numerous missed tackles. There's numerous, numerous misassignments on, on, uh, on defense. And a lot of it seems like it's coming from the front seven. Um, you know, Demario and Overshone, I think was, is probably, in my mind, the best defensive player that we have, maybe Deshaun Jameson can can fight for that argument as well. But other than that, I mean, there's not really anybody that I that if I'm an offense that puts fear into me, right? I mean, there's there's nobody really that I'm I'm going into the game and I'm saying, okay, I got a game plan for this guy because Overshone has repeatedly, especially the last four weeks, has missed tackles, has has over you know overextended himself trying to go for tackles, and and like you said, you know, then running backs can just cut back or or you know, there's these. Um, Quarterbacks are rolling out to the left or rolling out to the right. And uh, we saw what Oklahoma did to us, uh, you know, in, in running the ball in the second half. I mean, it's 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 frustrating, to be honest. Yeah, and there's something to be said about, like, a lot of these guys are in now their third defensive alignment in three years. And so there's this, like, are they the, are they the right types of players to be playing in the positions that they are? And, you know, you look at, like, I think of 
a guy, if you're not familiar, Gabriel Floyd was, a, was an incredible linebacker recruit from, from two cycles ago that had to medically retire. And I'm wondering, like, what does his defense look like with Gabriel mm-hmm. Floyd and Marvin Overshone playing linebacker instead of Luke Brockermeyer, which no shot at Brockermeyer. He has well exceeded the ceiling that we all thought he had as a walk-on. Oh, yeah. And so, oh, yeah. There, but it is what it is, right? He didn't have scholarship offers coming out of high school, walked on to Texas and earned one. So that's great, but, like, that's not where Texas should be starting that guy. That should be a guy that's playing special teams for you. And that's not a shot at Brockham. That's just the reality of college athletics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is this like, are the, or do they have the right bodies in the right positions to do the right things? Cause we've even seen in some spots where it looks like the optimized version of Pete Krakowski's defense early in this, in the, or late in the, the first quarter of the Baylor game, the, the defense put them behind the sticks early and then they could tee off. And that's what that defense looks like when it's, when it's churning at the right pace. But at some point, the offense didn't do anything to help them. And so there's that lack of complimentary football that bites them. And I got way off topic here, but <laughs> I, I don't know what's wrong with this unit, but it doesn't seem like they have the, it seems like there's a lot of square pegs and round holes and mm-hmm. the defensive staff is not doing much to stay in the edges. And, and you mentioned it, third scheme in three years. And, and I think that's my fear, right? It's, is we went through this period of time for the last decade where it's like, it felt like every year there's a new coordinator, whether it's on the offensive end, whether it's on the defensive end, there's a new scheme and there's new player, you know, obviously with the recruits, but you're bringing these recruits to fit a certain scheme. And then, well, now you're changing that up because you're firing your defensive coordinator and you're bringing in a new guy or you're bringing in certain offensive talent. Uh, but guess what? We're going to switch offensive coordinators or we're going to give play calling over to somebody else. And that changes everything and people are out of alignment. And it, my, my fear is that Kwiatkowski is going to get fired in the offseason. We're going to bring in a new defensive coordinator. He's going to change up the scheme and, and we're back to square one again. I, I'm not a guy. I don't think this should happen. I don't necessarily, if they, if they make a, a, a personal decision about Pete Kwiatkowski, I'm sure Sark knows he, he has forgotten more about coaching football than I will ever know. Um, but I don't think they make a change in year one. That's the rip cord you pull in year two or year three if things are going sideways on you. Um, I think if you and, – and and let's just say this. I think there's a reason why Sark called a couple of people before he got to Pete Kwiatkowski. You know, he there were a lot of other mm-hmm. names that were higher on the list. But I think PK is a great coach. Um and so I'm curious to see again what the portal looks like in the offseason, who they can bring in uh, to shore this thing up. Because if you can get some of the right guys in the right spots, it's a defense that works. And it worked for a long time in Washington. And so there's not there's not necessarily anything that tells me. PK didn't forget how to coach football on the flight from Washington to Austin. He just didn't. And so that, to me, it, it speaks to something else happening. If it's a culture issue, if it's a talent issue, it's probably a little bit of both. Um I would, I would rather, I, I hope they don't. And I think if they do make a change, it's premature. And I think it will continue to set Texas back on that side of the ball. Yeah. I mean, so let me ask you this. What's with the move coming to the SEC, whether it's in five years, whether it's in two years, right? Depending on the buyout, do you see recruiting for this team picking up because of the fact that they'll be in the SEC and, and they'll have that kind of, you know, they'll, they'll be that that essence of, of, you know, more juggernaut football, if you will, you know, going up against the likes of uh, Georgia and uh, Alabama every single year. 
there are some kids that that wrote Texas off early in the cycle in the in the 2022 recruiting cycle that are now that kind of opened the door back to Texas uh, when they announced the SEC move. There are some kids, especially uh, kids from Houston or kids that relocated from Louisiana to Houston due to the hurricanes and that type of stuff. Those are kids that often are like tagged SEC kids, and there are even kids from other parts of Texas, but like that's where you see them the most. Um, and so it, it helps with those kids. Now, Texas has to put something on the field worth a darn for them to want to come here, but it gives you that opportunity. And Texas, again, has to capitalize on it, has to put something. Because if we're four weeks ago, we're, we're talking about you know, three of the best players in the state going to shut it down to Texas if they show them something worthwhile, and then Texas drops four straight. And so there is it, – it creates an opportunity for you, but – it's not just that AM is in the SEC, but it's that AM is being successful in the SEC. And so a lot of these kids are asking the question, like, if Texas is struggling in the Big 12, why do I want to hitch my wagon to that and go to the SEC and lose for four years? Because it's not necessarily um, advantageous to them. Yeah, and, and I look at AM and and I, I kind of, as much as I hate to say it, I, it, it, it's like a program that should be emulated at this point, right? Yeah. Looking at their move from the Big 12 to the SEC and, and seeing what Jimbo did um, recruiting-wise, you know, getting getting kids that probably never would have gone to A&M had they been stuck, you know, in the Big 12 and, and uh, you know, fighting for third or fourth place every single year. Um, you know, now they're they're beating Alabama and they're, you know, they're getting ranked top 15, top 10, you know, th- three, four years later after, you know, after Jimbo comes. So I think that's if, if you're if you're Texas, that's a team, unfortunately, that you have to look at in that program and and say, OK, they did obviously they did something right or they're do they're doing things right. Yeah. And well, it, it one, it helps that like their their initial move was aided by they had the best player to come through College Station all time, Johnny Manziel, come in mm-hmm. and win those games for him. I think um, without that, they'd have continued to stay in the, the cellar of the, the SEC. Manziel was kind of a lightning in a bottle situation for them. And it worked out. It worked out really well. Um, and, and Jimbo has the one thing that I think there are four other guys in the, the country that can say this. He's a, he's a head coach with a national championship ring um, yeah. as a head coach. And so that carries a lot of cachet and AM has built a brand. I think, I think Jimbo also is winning with defense and, and Mike Elko is one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. And I keep, I, I, every night when I say in my prayers, one of the things I include is let Mike Elko get hired to be a, a defense or a head coach somewhere in the off season. Cause that will help <laughs> Texas significantly. Cause he's an incredible recruiter. He's got skins on the wall and he's probably one of the top three to five defensive coordinators in the country. And so Jimbo is not playing necessarily a sexy brand of football, but the win of football games, the, the, the offense is trash as it stands right now. But when you only have to score seven points, to win a game Mm -hmm. um you can do those types of things you can trot out there with the backup quarterback who's not necessarily good you can start freshman offensive linemen and and necessary and deal with those issues when you only need to put up 21 points to win a game which they did um this last week against auburn so a&m has has found a way to win and that's all that you really need to do especially at the highest levels of football what's your outlook um kind of wrapping up our football talk here what's your outlook on this team down the road right we, we talk about key recruits that you know Malik Murphy obviously coming in at quarterback but if if you know Sark is, is going to look at two quarterback recruiting class you'll still have Hudson Card you'll still have Casey Thompson um do you do you have any kind of uh optimism going forward that the Texas can recruit better or even get transfer players uh, to come in and solidify some of those positions on on you know the on the offensive and defensive line at, at receiver, uh, you know key positions like that. 
I'm a naturally optimistic guy, so my answer is going to be like yes, right? Um, but I think the <laughs> I love it. it it's going to take some roster turn, and it's going to take. I would not be shocked to see the the depth chart look significantly different uh, this time next year than it does right now. And I think Texas has to hit the portal really hard. I think Texas has to, and the the advantage that they have is that. You have a guy like Kyle Flood coaching the offensive line who recruited a lot of the top-tier guys in the country that may end up in the portal. And and the, the struggle with trying to, to hope and pray that you get offensive linemen in the portal is there's a reason why they weren't starting and you don't get a ton of the top-tier. It's, like it's not like a skill position guy where an injury can push you out and those types of things. You don't necessarily get a lot of the top-tier guys in the transfer portal. The one advantage that I think – Texas may have to have, as I mentioned already, that last recruiting cycle, kids didn't get to take official visits. So like, I hope that there's a five-star mm -hmm. kid in Ohio that was like, oh, they don't have breakfast tacos up here and it snows. Yeah, let me get out of here. Like that's something that I'm like, really anticipating and hoping that it happens. So that's an advantage. And again, Kyle, the, Texas grabbed the three to four-ish top recruiters that um, they needed to from Alabama and Kyle Flood and Jeff Banks, A.J. Milwee, and then Steve Sarkeesian himself. Like, those are the guys that, that were touching all the positions of need for Texas. You know, um, say what you want about Jeff Banks and, and the monkey situation, whatever. Like, the dude's an elite recruiter, and he's, he has been for a long mm -hmm. time. Um, and so, like, that's the advantage that Texas has in the portal is that they've already got those numbers in the Rolodex. Hey, Rolodex, because I'm 35, I say things like Rolodex instead of phone, right? <laughs> um, but they've, got, they've already got those numbers, so it doesn't take a whole lot to, like, hey, you send them, like, a hey, you up text and just see how things go. I think Steve Sarkeesian just needs to post up outside of Cooper Manning's house and, and wait and get, get Arch Manning's commitment as soon as you can. Don't let him get any, don't let him take any other <laughs> official visits and just make sure he's, he's a Texas kid. Cause that, I mean that you get a kid like that, like Arch Manning and, and people, people will come, right? I mean, you get the best quarterback in the nation. It's, which is why I was so frustrated at the fact that that Quinn Ewers yeah. flipped because I I figured if Quinn Ewers had, had stayed, you know, there's a good chance Garrett Wilson potentially, you know, could have. I, I don't know if they were in the same class or if, if there was if they were on the same timeline. But I feel like you get a, a you know the top quarterback in the country, then you've got all these receivers that are saying I'm 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 going to go play with that 100%. guy. It's not just receivers. You've got if you think about it, like Quinn Ewers or Arch Manning, they're championship level quarterbacks, and so guys want to block for them. Right. I want to stand in. I, I want to be the guy right. that lets Quinn Ewers win a Heisman. I want to be the guy that lets Arch Manning win a Heisman. And that to me is the bigger, the bigger um, recruiting ball. I wonder if, if, you know, Texas holds on to Quinn Ewers, if a guy like Ernest Green, who's a five star offensive lineman, who's, mm -hmm. who's in Ohio, who's in um, Ohio right now, sitting on the bench for Ohio State. Like, I wonder what that looks like. I wonder what those types of things look like for Texas. So that's why um, they're hitting on Arch Manning so hard, because Arch Manning is the domino that hits on Ruben Owens. He's the domino that hits on Jonte Cook. Those are two of the best offensive players in the state. And so in the state of Texas, right, that that's the type of level that a guy like that can land. And so I wouldn't be shocked to see Texas look for a big name in the portal and a guy that could attract some other talent. I would, I would, wouldn't be shocked if, you know, the, those big names pop up, that that's the first name that Texas lands in the portal. And then you see the other guys start to swirl because you see the momentum building and that's how you build momentum is through uh, the big names. And so I, I don't know how that shakes out. I don't really like, I'm, I, I don't have sources, but um, I could see that, that I could see that being how it plays out. We can only hope, right? That's <laughs> at this point. It's just it's fingers crossed, and, and let's look ahead to next year and and see what happens. But hey, at least now, starting tonight, we've got Texas basketball to look forward to. Uh, it's it. Very exciting time. 
uh, for Texas basketball. You know, I, I felt like when, when Shaka Smart was hired from Marquette, um, you know, it, it felt to me kind of like the Tom Herman situation where it was like, this is like the big name coach, you know, that had so much success and, and you know, you bring him in and, and there was so much hype around Shaka Smart and then you go 0 for 4 in the NCAA tournament and it's kind of like, you know, wah, 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 like, oh my God, like this didn't, you know, this, this was the opposite of what we wanted to happen. Yeah, and... It's it's tough because like Shaka is a really good dude and Shaka is a oh, he's really phenomenal. good builder of men, but and I don't necessarily know why it didn't play out because you know Shaka was really like everything Shaka did in his tenure at Texas was building to last year. Those were all of his guys in mm-hmm. in uh, in at the height of their prowess, and so um, it's I don't know why it didn't work out. I think part of it, it it's. Some of it is almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy where it's like, oh, this again, oh, this again type yep. situation. But um, in, in Shaka, this is going to sound weird, but Shaka's politics and his social feelings are a lot more progressive than what a lot of Texas boosters are really happy with. And so that probably also played to a little bit of the tension there as well for him. Um, but that, that um, you know, Shaka said things like, I would much rather have a guy, um, you know, be a great dad and a great father than a great basketball player. Yep. So those are things that, like, I respect that. But as far as the on-the-court stuff, I don't know why it didn't work out. It, if I knew, I'd be getting paid a lot more than I do now <laughs> um, to, to solve those types of problems. Uh, but it just seemed like um, it was a lot of weird late-game management things and a lot of, like, some of that's just on execution, where a coach can only do so much and, and a coach can only uh, prepare you for a situation and you've got to now execute it within the within the white lines. And so there's some of that, that there as well. But when Shaka was really good, you saw things like, like happened in the Big 12 tournament last year mm-hmm. where Texas went on a run and, and they may have ducked Baylor because Baylor got COVID and that's fine. That's their fault. Um, but they won the <laughs> tournament. So you see those types of things happen. Um, where you know when the, when when the good, when the highs were really really high with Shaka, and I think that was the most disappointing part is that like you see them beating North Carolina, you see mm-hmm. them winning the Big Twelve tournament, you see those highs, and then you're like, but how how the hell did it get so bad in some of these spots? And and some of Shaka's years were out of his control. Like you can't fault a guy when you have to kick the best player off your team for testing positive for marijuana twice. Yeah, and you can't fault a guy for Andrew Jones having leukemia right and so there's some of that where it's just like could this guy get any worse luck in the in the tenure that he had at texas and then some of it's just like but you're getting paid enough to figure it out so there's that tension that you have to manage there yeah andrew jones might be one of the most likable guys in in college sports i mean just his comeback story was is was phenomenal and he had a great year last year too i mean yeah I, i think you know that's that's a that's a really big high point for this team and i think he you know, is, is kind of the unquestioned leader of this team now, um, you know, coming in, especially with all these transfers that, that Chris Beard has. Um, you know, I, I think, we, you know, when all the Chris, Chris Beard news broke, I think Texas fans were, were, were excited, right? I mean, this is a guy that took a Texas Tech program, you know, to the, to the Final Four and then gets literally remakes his entire starting lineup with transfers and barely loses a national championship game. Uh, to Virginia, and it, it's mind blowing that now he comes in and, and Texas loses their three best front court players. Um, you know, Kai Jones, who Shaka I think did a great job of, of coaching him up. Uh, Jericho Sims and, and Greg Brown, who I'm surprised left for the draft because I thought he could have used another year um, at Texas. But you know, Shaka goes in and, and gets um, you know basically guys to replace all three. You know, getting Trey Mitchell, uh, Dylan Disu. Uh, from Vanderbilt, uh, Christian Bishop, Bishop, excuse me, from Creighton, and then Timmy Allen from Utah. 
but I think the biggest transfer, of course, was Marcus Carr, right? Is Marcus Carr, um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, was one of, if not the biggest name in the transfer portal, um, you know, coming from Minnesota. And I, I think he adds another dimension to this team. Uh, and a lot of people are high. I mean, we're number five preseason. I mean, that that's kind of crazy to me. Yeah, and I mean, that's what you do. I mean, when, when Chris Beard got to Texas, the roster was legitimately like Brock Cunningham and nobody. Yeah. So he had to rebuild the roster. And, you know, I think a lot of the reason why players left early is because they were shock and smart guys and you don't need it, didn't necessarily know who was, um, who was going to be the coach. And so I, I understand that. But I think, you know, Getting a guy like Timmy Allen, Marcus Carr, obviously, you know, preseason newcomer of the year, first team all conference, uh, like that's those are important lands for him. Um, but I think like some of the even more impressive recruiting was like keeping guys around, like Jace Febres, keeping mm-hmm. a guy like Andrew Jones around. Like those are also important important recruiting wins for him because that allows him to keep some sort of continuity and keep some sort. And I say continuity is not super important uh, when your roster is 85% transfers, but <laughs> those are guys like Andrew Jones is a locker room guy, right? Jace Fabres is a locker room guy. And so if you're trying to build a locker room culture, you need guys like that. You need leaders and you need guys that um, know what it's like to be at Texas because it, it, as douchey as this is going to sound like, it's just different. And so yep. showing these guys uh, what it's like to be at Texas is important. And so I think that's why, you know, as much as, yes, you, you want to be excited about Marcus Carr. You want to be excited about um, Dylan DC. You want to be excited about those guys. But I'm also excited that he kept some of those guys um, that, that kind of are the core material and the kind of the connective tissue in a really talented team around. And Josh Febris and Brock Cunningham were like the glue to this team last year. I mean, they're always the ones making those huge defensive plays. And, you know, those guys that normally don't get a lot of minutes, but when they come in, it's like, you know, crazy on-ball defense and, you know, getting all these steals and diving for loose balls. And so you're right. Keeping players like that is great. And, and you go back to recruiting. I mean, Beard's been here, what, six months maybe, <laughs> if if that. And he's already signed two top five commits for next year. Um, you know, Arterio Morris out of Kimball and then Dylan Mitchell from Montverde Academy, which is just a basketball powerhouse. Um, so you're already seeing the effects of, of having a guy like, like Chris Beard here. Um, you know, we're in a conference in the Big 12 where we've got, you know, obviously Baylor, the defending national champions, but they're, you know, they're missing, obviously, Damian Mitchell, who was drafted this year. Um, uh, uh, was it Jared Butler who got drafted as well? Um, so two of their two of their best players are gone, obviously, from that team. Um, and then, of course, Kansas with Remy Martin, who I think is going to be consensus Big 12 player of the year if all goes well. Um, it, it seems like this is just going to be a dogfight for for top of the Big 12, you know, when you're going up against, you know, other great coaches like Bill Self and Scott Drew. I mean, the Big 12 is routinely like the best basketball conference in the country. Come at me, Big 10 fans. I don't care. <laughs> uh, it's it's routinely like especially from top to bottom. Right. There, there are some really top heavy um top heavy conferences but i think from top to bottom the big 12 is a league where anybody is legitimately just there it's crabs in a barrel and so that's that's going to continue to happen and i like that because that prepares you for the ncaa tournament now i don't know why it didn't work out for texas uh over these last years but there is a there's an expectation that texas and i think and this is for for good or for ill i don't know it doesn't even seem like Texas basketball boosters, the people that watch Texas basketball, even necessarily care about who wins the Big 12. They're just really watching in March, right? Like, And that's why Shaka's entire tenure is, is judged upon his performance in, in the NCAA tournament. So uh, 
there is a expectation for Texas to make a run, and I think they can. Uh, and so that is is a weird phenomenon where Tech. If Shaka lost the first game of every Big 12 tournament and made three deep, of like three decent NCAA tournament runs, he's probably still the coach at Texas. And yeah. so that's really more what the expectation is going to be built on for Chris Beard. It's like, how do you perform in March and in the tournament? Yeah, and we're going to get a really good glimpse at it because we, you know, we got to play Gonzaga on Saturday, which is yeah. just a crazy start to the season. Um, you know, you talk about the depth of the Big 12. I mean, Oklahoma State's another team that consistently is like a, I feel like a top five, top four seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, Mike Boynton's done a great job with that team. And, and you know, even though they lost Cade Cunningham, they've got, um, you know, who's Avery Anderson, I believe, um, uh, on their team, their junior guard. And then uh, Kansas, they got Kansas transfer Bryce Thompson. So Oklahoma State's another team that I think can, um, you know, cause cause Texas some problems. Um, you know, down the stretch, and and college basketball is one of those things where it's like, it's like baseball regular season, right? Nobody cares until you get to the tournament, and and you know, then you know, at least your conference tournaments, and then you kind of figure out what's going on. Um, you know, we're, we're Texas is preseason number five. Um, what what's the what's the floor for this team in your mind, and then what's the ceiling? Is this a national championship contender with with all their transfers, with all these new, you know, new pieces that Chris Beard's trying to put together? I mean, I think they are. I think this is this is a you don't assemble this level of talent if you're not looking to make a deep run in the tournament. Like I'm never a national championship or bust kind of guy because, you know, the perspective of every team but one ends their season on a loss is always like rung in my mind. So I'm not like a national championship or bust kind of guy. But I think it'll be a disappointment if Texas doesn't at least see, um, you know, the elite eight. That's probably even too high of a bar. But I don't necessarily think that. Um, it's too much of an ask again with guys that are going to be legitimate, you know, NBA players or guys that, that were all conference transferring. And when you, when you build a roster out of all conference parts, mm-hmm. you expect you, you have those high expectations. And so there's a specific level that I think they're expecting out of them. Uh, and I don't think that's unfair. And I think it's definitely, again, not, I, I, I already said it, but like national championship or bust is probably dumb expectations, but I do see people wanting to see Texas make a deep run. What a deep run is going to be different from everybody, but it sure as heck is out of the first weekend. You know, the, the other guy that I forgot to mention was uh, the Kentucky transfer, Devin Askew. So if you're Chris Beard, you, you've got all these new guys who basically started for their teams last year or who have put up significant minutes and, and average, you know, double-digit points. How do you massage your rotation? Um, you know, how do you kind of manage the egos of of – Players, not not saying that everybody's got an ego and, and has to be starting and stuff, but you know these these guys are college basketball players. A lot of guards on this team that normally have the ball in their hands. How does Chris Beard, you know, kind of figure out that situation? That's a great question. That's why he's getting paid so much. <laughs> I, I, a, I I think there's you know there are guys that I think come in and expect to have the ball in their hand. I think you've got, um, and I think there are guys that, and I, I feel like. Chris Beard is a guy that probably shot you pretty straight as far as what your role is going to be in this, and especially as the transfers continue mm-hmm. to roll in. And, and, you know, joining a team that's in this state of flux is probably not something for everybody. And so I think Chris Beard was probably pretty intentional about that. And you don't commit to Chris Beard without knowing what his offense and his, his defense are going to be like. You're going to, uh, you know, it's not going to be a fun level of basketball, and you're probably not going to be, you know, just raining buckets like the Golden State Warriors of, of 2015. So there's, I think people probably, I think the guys came in with their eyes pretty wide open on it. Um, and so for him, 
the the beautiful thing about that is like winning really cures all ills and so if you're winning games it's really hard to complain about what's going on uh unless you're not necessarily a, mm -hmm. a great team player and that stuff gets gets drummed out pretty quickly i i want you to calm my nerves here gerald because when i saw that we were ranked fifth i literally thought is this the same situation in Texas football where every year somehow we're ranked in the top 20, regardless of how we finished the year before. And now they're putting Texas in the top five in basketball. And I'm just like, do we really deserve to be this high? Like with all these transfers, I mean, we don't really know how these players mesh. Is, is this a legitimate preseason ranking? I hate preseason ranking. So I don't know if any of them are legit, uh, but I think for, for me, I think this is, this is a team that, I mean, we, we listed it out. Um, this is a team with really high expectations and based on, you know, depending on who you look at, this is, they could even be better than top five, depending on whose, you know, statistics that you're, that you're looking at. I think we've also gotten to a point where, where we're just expecting the worst because of the last 11 years of Texas football. So there's a little bit of that playing in. I don't see the bottom falling out of this roster. Yep. Chris Beard knows how to win in the Big 12. He's done it. We've seen him do it already. And he's got more talent and more advantages than he did in um, in Lubbock, for, for good or for There's a reason why he left Lubbock to come to Austin, because he knew there were things he could do in Austin they just couldn't do in Lubbock. And so I'm not super concerned with his ability to get it done because – and I think that was part of the issue with both Shaka and with on the football side, like Tom Herman, they had never done it at that level. Chris Beard has done it at this level. And so he knows what it takes um, and he's going to figure out a way to get it done. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and obviously with the opening of the Moody center um, you know, there's, there's a lot of expectations I would assume uh, when you're opening up a, a, you know, multi-million dollar basketball complex, you know, dead, you know, dead yeah. set on 35. Um but I'm excited, man. I, I think this is the first time in a long time I, I, I've I've looked at a Texas team and, and really, you know, kind of been been pumped. I, I was pumped when Greg Brown committed, um, and then I kind of watched him just, I don't know what he was doing, you know, last year. But um, I, I think this is, this is the first time in a long time I, I've been actually really excited about Texas basketball. You and me both, man. I, I, it is it is fun to be excited about something, uh, finally, is the only <laughs> way I can say it. Good stuff, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you hopping on the podcast today. Uh, you know, it means a lot, and I, I can't wait to do it again. Dude, always a pleasure. Let me know. I, I've got three kids now, so uh, we'll have to do a little bit more schedule massaging, but I'd definitely love to do it again. Fantastic, man. Appreciate you, bud. Thanks, brother. That's it for this episode of Metroplex Mania. Thank you for listening. As always, I'm your host, Shanavaz Makani. Please be sure to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And until the next episode, see ya.